Aloha, welcome to the Live Ukulele podcast. My name is Brad Bordessa, and in this episode, I'm talking to my mentor and friend, Uncle Kiyoki Kahumoku. Uncle Kiyoki and I go way, way back. I attended his workshop starting in 2006 or seven, and it was really kind of the moment when I realized I want to play music. This is awesome. And throughout the connections that you know I got from the workshop, I've really been able to build this career in music education and some Hawaiian music performance. And you know, just having having that jump start as a young person really made all the difference, I think, in my ability to succeed. And I owe all of that to Uncle Kiyoki. Recently, kind of since COVID started to taper off. We've been playing together as a group. We've got a, a bass player, Larry Miller, plays upright bass for us, and I play usually ukulele or some steel guitar. And Uncle Kiyoki plays his wonderful slack key, and we've been doing some gigs here and there—farmers markets, weddings, whatever that kind of a thing. And it's been super wonderful because you know, Uncle, in my opinion, is one of the great performers in Hawaii. He, you know. He chose to be here on Big Island, kind of later in life. So, just being out here on one of the smaller tourism islands, you end up kind of setting aside a lot of opportunities that you otherwise could take advantage of. You know, you live on Maui or you live on Oahu. There's lots going on. There's lots of gigs. There's lots of places you can play. And being out here on Big Island. It is a little bit more secluded. There's not as much going on, not as many gigs, and so I think that by by being here, we choose to sort of fly under the radar a little bit. You know, we're not necessarily on high sessions or whatever, or joining all of these different media outlets that are convenient and easy to be a part of if you're on Oahu or if you're part of that music scene, which we are not. So we kind of do our own thing, enjoy what we can, but yeah. Uncle Kiyoki is an amazing performer, amazing musician, amazing person, and I'm glad I get to share some of his story here with you folks today. Before we get started, a couple of news updates. I've added a sample lesson to my Left Hand Technique course sales page. So if you've been curious about the Left Hand Technique course, this one is kind of my end-to-end massive guide to. Playing lead mostly. There's some chord stuff, but playing lead and getting around the fretboard easier. You know the mechanics of pressing a note. A lot of people don't think about that kind of stuff, and so we start really simple with how to press a note, and then move along to different navigation techniques. Something that I call string transfer windows, where you can actually play a scale just by knowing the whole and half step pattern that makes it up. You can play that across the strings without ever knowing. The notes are knowing your fretboard because you have these string transfer windows, and they act as interval distances across the strings. And so it's kind of a unique approach. Not many people talk about that, but it's really just a system for organizing your fingers and making sure that when you play, you're playing things as efficiently and as smartly as possible, so you don't end up backing yourself into corners. And it really goes kind of from beginner concepts, though it's probably more for beginner plus. Nice to have a little bit of an understanding what you're doing as you go back to 
revisit and really improve upon those techniques all the way up through really kind of expert stuff. And we learn a handful of songs along the way. There's some really cool stuff. And the reviews have been really positive. I've been happy with hearing the people who jumped into those lessons. They've they really appreciated them and felt like they learned a lot and got a lot out of it. So if you want to check it out, if you're so inclined, you can go to liveukulele.com slash store, click on the left-hand technique video course, and then there'll be an email form where you can put your email in and sign up to get that free sample lesson. It's about the chromatic scale, which I think is often overlooked and a very important part of playing the ukulele. If you can't finger the chromatic scale correctly, there's not much else you're going to be able to do without that framework of of that simple shifting and navigation. So I encourage you to check it out. And even if you don't want to check out the rest of the lessons, that is there for you to enjoy for free. I am also in the process of getting ukulele chord shapes back into print. I know that I have not really pushed the print edition very hard over the past number of years just because it was print on demand and I never felt a super connection to it and the ebooks are just so much easier. You know, honestly, there's more profit in it for me to sell an ebook, but I've come to realize that I've you know, the books are valuable, especially a reference book like that. And so I have reworked the contents into, you know, into the format that it needs to be to go to print. I've been working on working my way through the proofs. I thought I had the last one last week came in, but I found a couple goobers that I needed to fix. So hopefully the final, final one is on its way to me. And that will be coming down the pipes. Keep an eye out for that. That will be, I'm planning on fulfilling the orders myself. So it's going to be, you know, kind of small kind of business sort of time frame. So if you want it right away, you should not order it from Amazon because it's not on Amazon. But uh, keep an eye out for that. It's the same great stuff that is in the ebook, but kind of reformatted and a little bit updated to be the best it's ever been and hopefully the most beautiful it's ever been. And very soon you'll be able to get a physical copy to hold in your hand. If you're not on my newsletter list, sign up so you don't miss out on the announcement for that and other similar kinds of things. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to the conversation I had with Uncle Kiyoki here in my bedroom a couple days ago. Strolling along on the shores of Kealia Watching the waves, the rolling sands that kiss the shore And now my heart will be forevermore dear And your love that has gone away Will come back to me. Ele ana ika pivi kai o ke alia. Ene ene e mai kaua la e pivi ke kau mai luna o ka mahi. 
By Tutu Koko. And so, Uncle George spent a lot of time in Kalia. Did you grow up there? Actually, I spent most of my uh, teenage years picking coffee, raising pigs. We had um, taro in the field, in the coffee fields. And um, it was a lot of mostly. Um, we did a lot of farm work early mornings, and then at about 10 o'clock, there was time to cut off. My dad was kind of a, a stickler for work to it gets hot and then take a break. Yeah. And then uh, about 10 o'clock was, for us was brunch or, you know, lunch, breakfast, lunch. And, and then we go and gather the fruits and vegetables from the garden and gather together for a meal, and then we go down to the beach. Remember those days spending down at uh, Napopo um, with my cousins after picking coffee, you know, in the morning or something like that. Um, we'd go and spend our days at Napopo or Middle Ke'e and go out uh, boogie boarding, nice. surfing, and uh, also got a uh, chance to learn from my cousins, my older cousins, how to uh, spearfish and dive. And actually, I learned how to surf before I learned how to swim. I didn't <laughs> realize that you had to <laughs> learn how to <laughs> swim first, you know. <laughs> I kind of learned it opposite, but uh, that's all right. <laughs> I just hung on to that board as tight as I could and... Uh, Back days, we didn't have the leash like you have nowadays, you know, you know, kind of like a rubberized leash. Before, it was just a nylon rope <laughs> tied to your leg <laughs> and hope for the best, you know. <laughs> Pull your foot right off. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So, those are the days, yeah. Um, I grew up uh, all the way through us um, till I was 19. We lived in Kealia, and then uh, 
At about 20, 21 years old, I moved to the island of Maui because actually it was uh, kind of a blessing in disguise. My dad actually had a, an accident farming, and which caused him to, the doctor said he had, he had to take a break from farming for a while because uh, it was uh, kind of dangerous. He had an aneurysm. And, uh, and this was right around the time, uh, I think it was 1990, 91 or something like that. Um, the, the hotel, the Mauna Kea Beach Hotel had just closed down for renovations and the Western Maui in Kaanapali asked if we were still playing Hawaiian music. And my dad said, yeah, we could do that and go give up farming and play music. You know, which was kind of got to weigh it out. Slop pigs or strum a guitar. And uh, we actually, funny enough, when we moved to Maui, it just, we couldn't get away from farming. For some reason, we decided to go visit other pig farms and and then got into a little bit of uh, pig farming in Oluwalu with um, some farmers on Maui. And... Um, and we're still playing music at night, play music at night. Then during the day, go. we're uh, living in the hotel for the first two or three years. Wow. Yeah, living in the hotel. So and you just played. had a permanent room. Yeah, had a permanent room. Well, they'd make us check out every week. And then um, we'd come back to the big island, take care of the business, whatever was still going on in uh, uh, on the big island. And then flying back and forth. And that went on for about two years. And then finally, I decided yeah, it's better to just move the whole family over to Maui. And that's where I started teaching at King K. Kaulike High School and Haleakala Waldorf School. And I met all these wonderful teachers uh, that helped, helped me develop myself as a musician and also as a teacher. Because hmm. I always felt that I was mostly a, uh, in the beginning, I was a real student of the craft, especially for ukulele and slacky. I was always learning because that's the way I was thrown into this whole thing was um, sit down, shut up, and don't ask questions and just follow, you know? And um, that was a, a tough one for me, really in the beginning. Just learning in that style? Yeah, learning that style was, um, cause I'm, uh, what they call dyslexic. So mm. I see everything backwards. So I had to learn how to follow my dad by watching his fingers, but then I had to transpose it backwards in my mind so that I could, so that I could follow along and do that. But at the same time, I was playing slacky ukulele. I was playing in this weird tuning that my dad said, "Okay, you just play like this," and it was in uh, it was um, in fact, it wasn't even slacking the ukulele; it was tuning it up a half step. I was playing a baritone ukulele, and I was playing instead of D, I was playing it in uh, D sharp huh. or E flat, and then my dad would tune his slacky guitar to E flat oh. major. You know, and I was like, and to follow along, it's just like impossible. You don't follow the same chords, you know what I mean? So um, as far as the fingering was concerned, following the shapes 
That's how I learned. I learned by watching other people's fingers and following by shapes and then matching the shapes to what I'm hearing. So then that kind of made sense to me. Then I always, in fact, uh, some of the best people that I like to watch play because they, they use a, a lot of weird fingering shapes. It was like Kelly Boy D. Lima, you know, from Kapena mm. and also, um, Uncle Herb Ota uh, Senior Otasan, uh, Herb Junior too. He's got some funky ways of holding his fingers. Their fingering is different, and it made me have to learn how to how to follow chords. Mm. And so for me, I played in only one slacky tuning. Everything for me was actually played in. Uh, for the first two or three years when I was first playing guitar was in that E-flat tuning because I just played what my dad played. So I followed him and I tuned all my guitars not knowing that there was a standard standard tuning that you tune to. I tuned all my guitars to E-flat and uh, in slack key and then eventually realized that, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this for quite long. But the nice thing about it was playing in E flat and singing in E flat really saved my voice mm. over the years because I, I realized that I wasn't straining as much, you know, for, for certain uh, chords that I was singing. And so at what point did you transition to like more standard tunings that people could follow when you were teaching? Um, it probably wasn't till like about 20 years into it. Mm, it was wow. really like that because I, I think about it now. It's it's been about thirty five years that I've been playing music, you know, and it's not really that long. I still consider myself a, a intermediate beginner as far as like ukulele is concerned, because I'm not much of a a lead picker or play melody or things like that. I'm mostly a strummer. And for the picking that I do for slack key guitar, I still, I'm still playing in slack key, but I'm playing in an open F tuning instead of an E flat tuning now. And it makes it a little bit easier for me because, um, I learned from in the beginning of the slack key playing that you could use a capo, which really helped me to be able to improvise and play with other people. And um, so as far as like learning for myself, um, a lot of it is just mimicking. You know, I do a lot of mimicking and repetitive, uh, repetitive uh, things that I saw that other musicians did. And then the stuff that I like, I use. And the stuff that I don't like, well, you kind of just keep it on the side for one of those things. You know, it's a tool. Right. And um, and I've just been enjoying the ride because I've had a lot of uh, a lot of good luck with the uh, the musicians. I I went into farming too for a while with my dad, and then off on my own. At the at one time, I was doing a, a hunting pig hunting business, catching wild pigs and also deer on the island of Maui and um. And that was fun while it lasted, but uh, still the, the music was what really kept us afloat so that I could raise a family, send my uh, 
you know, kids to school and be able to do all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, the music is has been a blessing for me in my life. I could have done other things. I could have been a, you know, if you followed my dad's stories, I could have been a professional car washer today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I would do a damn good job doing it too. So do the best that I can. That's all we're taught to do, you know. Yeah. Do the best that we can with the tools that's given to you and just keep going. Sometimes... uh Life throws you curveballs, and you just go with the, go with the flow. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. talk about learning everything from mimicking. Mm-hmm. Um, for you know, we we both have experience teaching kind of more Western style people from the mainland yeah. who come and are excited about learning Hawaiian style ukulele. But it seems like a lot of people have a hard time getting it. And getting yeah. that Hawaiian sound, and it seems like a lot of that has to do with the way that you learn mm-hmm. to play, and that just like yeah. copycat Hawaiian style. Yeah. Um, what do you think makes somebody sound like a Hawaiian style player? Where does that sound come from? Okay, so basically, the sound that I'm trying to recreate again by mimicking, a lot of it comes to the way that you're approaching. The fretboard. Number one is uh, your left hand. I separate it into two separate things, the left hand and the right hand. And my left hand is basically where I learn all my different positions for chords up and down the fretboard, um, learning different variations of the chord. Um, and then with the right hand is where I come in with either a picking with the thumb, the index, or my middle finger. I've kind of lost, over the years, I've lost using the ring finger and the pinky finger just because I I had an accident. Yeah, I remember when yeah, you Yeah, so I actually severed the tendons in my fingers. So I can't actually, they, they don't bend as normal as they, as they used to. So what I did was I just had to kind of figure out a way so... The strumming and, and the picking that I do now is a combination of flicking flies <laughs> <laughs> and and rolling hanabaras. <laughs> that's that's basically the way that I, I look at it. So um the you know I, I both approach the strings at uh doing arpeggiated pickings, you know, they call about uh doing certain types of picking patterns. Or um, uh, pick in a strum, which mostly for slacky, that's basically, if you're listening for something steady, that's what you're listening for, a basic bass and a strum, you know? And when I try to practice it and just play it, I always screw it up. <laughs> it's always like that. It's just the one of those things. And what happens is you get better as you start playing songs. That's just the way it is for me. Um, I learned that uh, a lot of times is if you can get through the whole song without making the mistake, then you're making progress. Yeah, that's for me. You know, that's that's just how I feel. Like um, sometimes. And a lot of times I'll make progress mostly um, 
when I'm not thinking about it. You know? Yeah. As soon as I start thinking about it, I got something else on my mind. That's when I make a mistake and then I got to redo it over again. Yeah. Kind of like those things like, like um, one example is when I did my first recordings with, uh, before I recorded with my dad, I did some recordings with uh, Herb Ota Jr. And with uh, Herb was all off the cuff and we went and did, we did, I think, like the first night in the studio, we did six songs. Wow. We we cracked them out. And it was just, it was all because we were just in the flow. It was something about we went to go eat Japanese food first. We was feeling good. Um, you know, everything was, was just like right. I had shrimp chips, had my arare, I had my... Coca-Cola, whatever it was that made it that what it was. And then the next day we came back to the studio and somebody had recorded over all of our tracks. Oh no. Oh yeah. It was so crazy. <laughs> and it was just one of those things. It's like we had we had done the best performance we felt of our career because we got and we got it down recorded. Wow. Was that After, on tape still? It was on the tape. But what happened was some rock and roll band had come in and thought that, that their tapes was ours and there was a two-inch tape and they recorded over all of our stuff, all this drum tech, techno drum stuff. Wow, just gone. Gone. And it was like, oh, our heart was so sore. It was like, and we knew it deep down inside. We knew that that was some of the best stuff that we had ever put out. So we went in and the next day... It was good, but wasn't the same. It's just like the the feeling wasn't the same, and um, and even like uh, our engineer Charlie Lucella, he said, yeah, it was, yeah, it was different. the The first one was like magical, and I was like, yeah, it really did. And then, but what can you do? Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. It's part of history, and um, so we just recorded them over, and then we did I think uh, five more songs. Uh, the next recording and took us so that was uh, in the beginning when we were just off the cuff and we knew we had a song list and we just came in prepared you know no practice in the studio that's one thing you tell everybody don't don't <laughs> use that time man time is precious when you're in the studio yeah. especially if you're in one of those high-end studios which you know which charge you an arm and a leg to be there, so you got to make sure that you're on top of it. Go in, do your thing, and then uh, do the best that you can, and try not to overplay it too, because sometimes you overdo it, then you just end up killing yourself. Um, as far as like stress out, and you know, for me it was like, okay, next one, let's go, and I try to do that with now. Right now, I'm working on. Some other projects on the side with uh, this uh, this um, guy that's really enthusiastic enthusiastic about Hawaiian music, and he wants to try and record stuff. And I'm like, "Geez, brother, you gotta learn how to use your <laughs> equipment first before you go and start doing all this stuff." And he's he's learning as we're going along, and it's like, "Okay, you wanna do it like this? Let's let's do it like this then." <laughs> <laughs> So it's fun for me, but 
I don't know. It's she's like um it reminds me of like starting from the beginning all over again. Mm. And it's okay. I don't mind doing that. If the person's like willing to just go through it, but at the same time, I don't want him to be all stressing out about it either. That's the whole thing about music. There shouldn't be any kind of stress when you're doing music. You know what I mean? Music is supposed to be relaxing and inviting, not only for you, but for the, the people out there. Yeah. You know? Because that's what they're, they come and we get people that come to see us all the time, repetitive. They just they don't always come up and say hello and all of that, but I see them out there and they're always coming to check up on us and, you know, we're at the farmer's market or we're at the parties or or uh, certain venues and stuff like that. We always get visitors that are coming. So I always try to give my best, but I can. Sometimes um, the songs change too. Sometimes <laughs> I'm getting older, so the, the verses change. I make up <laughs> my own verses as we go along. And a calamai, for those of you that, you know, are sticklers for that, I was like, Oh, I can't help it. It's part of that artist's um, artist's improvisation. That's <laughs> what we're doing. We're doing a little bit of improvisation there. <laughs> but we're always having fun. Yeah, that's yeah. the main thing. Yeah. So obviously, you spent a ton of time playing with your dad, and you learned a lot from him. But what is kind of your lineage and connection to Hawaiian music like? kind of going beyond that like who did you listen to to find inspiration because you have a lot of influences from your dad but you also like you have your own feel and you know approach probably to music. you know the most that i spent time with learning from as a teacher was probably my uncle moses hmm. and he played slacky with uh with uh, a style that does uh, few and far in between yeah. would play so he played a flamenco rock and roll style, which kind of, uh, and blues style, which uh, caught the ear and attention of many musicians over the years. And he played with so many different musicians that uh, that were influenced by my uncle Moses. Um, but I was always growing up around, um, you know, the sound of Hui Ohana, uh, Eddie Kamai and the Sons of Hawaii, Uncle Gabby Pahinui. Um, so you were you were listening to records and I was listening to records mostly because that's what we had, and then uh, the other stuff that was going on was, um, you know, we were listening to the seventies and eighties. I grew up in the seventies and eighties, which uh, unfortunately had a lot of disco in there in between. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, uh yeah, I listened to that and some Michael Jackson along the way and uh Stevie Wonder. Um a lot of music came to my household because we were um my mom used to like to sing too. Mm. But uh my mom was also a singer. She was a soprano in the choir for Kamehameha schools and my dad was at the in the choir too for Kamehameha schools. Um class of 69 both of them. Also with uh, a whole bunch of other uh, musicians that came out of that era, that time era. Class of 67, 68, 69 were all like uh, Casimero Brothers and um, K-1 
Keola, Kapono Beamer. Um, so I was kind of lucky that um, I was exposed to that kind of music. And then myself, I went to Kamehameha schools in the early 80s. So 1983, I was there for 7th grade, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. And then uh, my 11th grade year, I took a break and went up to Berkeley mm. High School. And because uh, my mom was uh, going to college up there and uh, to uh, study stenography. And so I was up there and lived uh, right around in near Oakland and Berkeley and had fun. Definitely learned a lot. Got some street smarts from being in the city there. Um, and then came back home and, and, uh, finished school on Maui of all places with my uncle. And uh, I was just kolohe during those times, uh, during my high school years, I was really kolohe. So had to put the reins on me there. (laughs) So I finally ended up getting my diploma from the island of Maui via summer school, Konawaina high school. And uh, figure that one out for yourself out okay. there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So were you like listening to records or how were you learning songs? Was it just all coming down from your dad to be and honest, your uncle? No, to be honest with you, I didn't start I didn't start until I was nineteen. Playing yeah, any playing. music. I didn't start playing till I was nineteen. And it was because I didn't like playing music in the beginning because I was forced to, you know, at parties and stuff yeah. like that. And when you're a kid, you get forced to doing things. You don't want to do it. And, but then what I, what I started seeing was that my other cousins started to play and they were playing and they were getting really good. Like my uncle Moses's sons, they both can play, but they, they don't realize the talent that they have. And they kind of just don't play anymore. Huh. And out of all the cousins, I think I'm the only one that's continued to play at least uh, slacky guitar. I think sometimes they play ukulele once in a while. But um, yeah, when I when I think about it, it's like, geez, I was really lucky that my uncle took the time to sit me down and actually. Even my dad, because he didn't have a lot of time. When you're farming and you're and you're traveling and you're doing all kinds of stuff, and and you're a musician, it's no time to be learning. It's time to be playing, mm. you know. So, like I said, it wasn't until I was 19, and then I got my first professional job at the age of 20, and that was where I learned my first song. My first song was. Five foot two, eyes are blue, coochie, 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 coo. Has anybody seen that girl? And and I played that song 20 different versions a night. And people knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and it sucked. <laughs> I sucked. I really, in the beginning, I, I had a hard time believing that I was a musician. Well, and just one year in, that's kind of soon. I mean, for most people. Well, I had to... It was, it was like this. My dad said, show up, your uncle quit. Oh. 
And I was like, what do you mean uncle quit? So what does that have to do with me? Just because he quit doesn't mean I have to come and start plays. It was, it's either you or your, your cousins. And I'm like, and I said, well, do I get paid? And he said, yeah, you get paid. And plus you get to eat all you can eat, seafood and prime rib buffet. And I was like, oh, shocks, man. So all you can eat, seafood, prime rib buffet. And that was at the Mauna Kea Beach, and they had this, um, uh, the clam bake, they called it. And it's like a fabulous clam bake with prime rib and crab and lobster. They had Maine lobster and sashimi and poke and all those great things. Um, so I saw, I got sucker punched into it <laughs> for sure. And then I saw I played, and then I had to, and then my dad wouldn't show up to some of the gigs then I have to play with my cousins, and my cousins were a lot better than me. They were like really, really good musicians. Marcus Wong Yuen, Poi Wong Yuen. Um, uh, in fact, those are the two guys that got me started in playing professional music. Was the Wong Yuen brothers, and. Um, they showed me my the ropes, man, around how to play, how to act. You know, when you when you on the when you on stage, you're not fucking around. You you're there for the music to be a musician and mm. to do the best that you can as a musician. That's the kind of stuff that they would tell us. You know, you're not there for for fuck around, and you're not there for play music that you like here. You there to play the music that they want to hear. So if they like hear tiny bubbles. Fucking bite the bullet, excuse my language, but you bite the bullet and you play the song because they're the ones that they come back every year and they want to hear that song. That's like whatever it is, a Hawaiian wedding song. Um, and uh, the reason why you do it is because you don't realize, but they support you, these people that come back every year. And just talking about it, I miss them miss a lot of these guys because they was the ones that would encourage me to keep playing man there was a time in my life I just didn't want to play anymore because I got so frustrated and uh, the frustration was within me and I knew that if I wanted to continue to do music, it had to be for a better reason. And it wasn't for me, but it was for the reason why people come. Because they love Hawaii so much that they come every year to spend their time. And I had some... uh Roadies, I call them. They would come and follow us for three months out of the whole year, every gig. And I missed them because they they haul already. They're in Passway. But uh, every time I get asked that question, you know, when when you first started, I remember because it was hard for me. And my dad they didn't make it easy, man. He made me work for it. 
And for those of you out there that's struggling and you feel like you have to work for it, keep working at it. Don't give up. Because the music is important. It's important. And always strive to do better. Always strive to do better. If you can, you can. If you cannot, well, try again. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I want to shout out to the Achilles family. Yeah. If it wasn't for them, that family, the Achilles from Napa Valley, they would come out. They came out for 10 years of my music career every year to spend the summer. Three months out of the year, they would stay here. And they would make me play damn hooky lao, <laughs> freaking uh, tiny bubbles, uh, ho'okahi Sunday afternoon, all those kind of pahaoli songs. And now nobody requests those songs. So make me sad when I think about them. And it brings me joy too sometimes when you just boss them out and you're not you're not worried about anything else. So yeah, sorry a little bit teary eyed over here, you guys. Huh, it's all good. But uh that's the food for the soul. You know, we yeah. share share the music and I mean you you taught me that you share the music, but it's also it's a reciprocal thing. You know, yeah. we get as much as we give from the people who enjoy the music so much. Yeah. It was good fun this weekend too. Uh thanks Brad for coming out for my daughter's wedding. Oh yeah, yeah. Um it was really good to share the music and see my dad and my dad sure has a funny choice of songs for weddings. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he chose my hunting dog song of all songs to play for me and my daughter coming up. But that's my, he, my daughter said, I told grandpa he can play any song he wants, but I didn't think he was going to choose that song. <laughs> so I was like, oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I remember that forever though. For sure. I'll forever remember it. Caught me that razorback hog I don't know I don't know Oh, stopped it in his tracks That Pua'a is a dead boy now Said, now where is that black dog? Where is that black dog? One that caught me that razorback hog I don't know I don't know Tracks of who is dead for now. I said, We're going up to Walla Lai. Have you ever seen 
the more beautiful sky don't know don't know oh if you want some highlight maybe the place to go Where's that brown dog? Where's that brown dog? The one that got cut by the Razorback Hog? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, if By the Razorback Hog I don't know Oh, oh, I don't know Oh, spill his dog Oh, that dog is a hurting dog now Well, he's part pit He's got some laugh Never had a better dog That could grab I know I know Smoke me in my bone. Most people wouldn't consider that a wedding song. <laughs> no, that's not a wedding song, but <laughs> Uncle George for you. <laughs> Awesome. You want to play a song on the ukulele? Ken. Oh, 
えかい。けこなんて赤まいな、いけかいはばな、ばな。おめなばに、おめいかえかい。けこなんて赤まいな、いけかいはばな。Awesome. Yeah, for the folks from Lahaina, Maui. Well, thanks so much for coming and telling your story, Uncle. Thank you.、Um, I just want to say really quick for everybody out there listening that, you know, Uncle Kyoki is really the reason that I'm probably still playing music. He really gave,、oh, gave right, context、okay. to all my practice and everything that I was trying to do, and you know, just having that opportunity. To learn from so many amazing musicians, yourself included, and then to have kind of come full circle and get to play with you is really a treat. And I really am I'm enjoying all the music that we get to make and the, the people we get to entertain and share, share that out there because you, know, you really have that special sound.、Mm, thank you so much, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. We love you and your whole family.、Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for. Thinking about me and allowing me to share my story. Yeah, of course. And maybe we'll get together again sometime and talk story a little bit more. Yeah, that'd、We're、be great. Not so teary eyed. No. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. Thank you for letting me share. Mahalo. So there's a lot to parse there. Really a great opportunity to hear some of those stories and some of the Inspiration and background for you know, what makes Hawaiian music Hawaiian, what captures that feeling, what informs that feeling that people are always asking about. And most of it is just hard work, grinding out those hours, playing music, living life, farming, fishing, hunting, whatever your bag is. To me, that is what makes Hawaiian music. Hawaiian. So, mahalo to Uncle Kyoki once again for joining me for the conversation. Right afterwards, we went down into Honoka'a Town and we played at the Peace Day Fest, something that Honoka'a has been doing since、uh, I think Miles Okumura said it was like 2005 or something like that. Maybe even earlier, but it's been happening for a long time. But Honoka'a is the only town that has like an officially recognized Peace Day. Every year. And so we went down to spread some peaceful vibes and share some Hawaiian music with the folks who were down there. It's a great time. And, you know, it's always a treat to get to play with Uncle and share Hawaiian music with the folks that 
just really enjoy it. It's it's a different sort of experience playing that honest Hawaiian music from playing singer songwriter or rock and roll or whatever. You know, those musics are good for the soul too, as the players. But I think that Hawaiian music is kind of a more special experience for the listener because a it's harder to come by it's more rare to hear live Hawaiian music especially live Hawaiian music that's like really authentic like Uncle Kiyoki brings and it just comes from such a heartfelt place people's enthusiasm and their love for that music is just really really within them and so going out and playing and seeing seeing how people really appreciate that and see the joy on their faces and see them tapping their foot and you know a lot of it's old timers who grew up with that music and they know those songs and they haven't heard them for 10 years or 20 years or however long it's been since you know a, a Hawaiian act came through town which is not often Honoka is way out there's you know not much reason for big Hawaiian acts to come through and so there's not much going on. And so to hear to hear those songs is it's really a special it's a special thing to be able to go out in the community, share those songs, and to experience the joy that they bring to people. Once again, thank you for tuning in. The Live Ukulele podcast is published on the first and third Saturdays of every month. We're getting towards the end of the season. The season ends. I take I take November and December off from doing podcast stuff, kind of recollect myself. So we're getting to be the last couple episodes. In fact, this might be the second to last episode. So that's good. I should try and find something that's a real, real banger for the last one. Gonna be hard to top Uncle's conversation though. That was that was good fun. Anyways, catch you on the flip. Leave a review of the podcast if you like what you hear. Sign up for my newsletter, all that good stuff. I would love to kind of have you in the circle and correspond with you, whatever you're inspired to reach out and share. All my best. Ahui ho. Ahui ho.